You're listening to the Yoga Magic Podcast with host Ashley Sondergaard. Do you remember that first time you took a yoga class? Lying in Shavasana thinking, what is this magic? For me, yoga opened the door to a life full of self-discovery and self-care. This show shines a light on what is possible when you invest in your well-being. And not only for you, but for everyone around you. I interview women in the space of healing, spirituality, beauty, wellness, and of course, yoga. This community of listeners is excited to expand their minds, open new doors, be honest, and sometimes take a big old handstand fall on the way. My hope is that this show gifts you a library of accessible new practices that fill up your soul and open your mind. Not all will be perfect for you, but that's the best part. Trying it on and finding your personal favorites. This is Yoga Magic. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Yoga Magic Podcast, friends. My name is Ashley Sondergaard. I'm your host, and this show is all about self-care and self-discovery. Lots of practices brought to you to try on, lots of ways to do some self-discovery, and it is the official season of self-discovery, my friends. We are moving into Scorpio season on October 22nd, depending on where you are in the world. If you're in Minnesota, it happens to be on October 22nd. And Scorpio season is one of the most magical times of the year, and it's also one of the most challenging. And I think those two things go hand in hand, right? To do this wildly transformative work of self-study, of growth, of of evolution, if you will, there has to be some heavy lifting. There has to be some digging. And, and Scorpio season is the time when we are asked to do that. And I, I wanted to share just a little about how this might show up for you because I, on a personal level, have felt pretty all over the board, pretty moody, pretty emotional, honestly sad. Just had times where all of a sudden I'm realizing that I'm, I'm still healing, some healing some things myself. And it hits me like really quickly, unexpected moments. And so if that's something you're feeling right now, if you're feeling this movement into, into emotion, into, you know, intuition, into those, those responses that are sometimes unexplainable, you're not alone. So Scorpio energy is very much about going deep into the the darkness into the depths of our soul to uncover our truth and that is wildly transformational wildly magnetic it can make magic happen but it's also like i said really challenging work so a number of practices that you can embrace right now in the scorpio season um first is to do that self-study work there's so many episodes that we've done on this show that talk about different ways to self-study, whether that be meditation or hypnosis or doing past life regression or just free writing and journaling. I've lately been listening to really like emotional music and just laying in and feeling the emotions as they come up. These are simple ways that we can do that self-study work and learn about who we are, what sparks emotion in us and how we can use that to create the life that we want. This is a time of manifestation when we get into that self-study work. Secondly, it's a big time of rest. We're moving into, you know, the more colder months. Um, Here in Minnesota, it is truly, you know, autumn as according to the news, sad girl autumn because of Adele's new song. I'm literally like 
they, they're catching on. We've known this forever, but they are catching on. But there's this feeling of wanting to turn inwards and cuddle up and grab a blanket and just like maybe sit by the fire with a tea. And that, go with that, everybody. Go with that feeling of, of wanting to get cozy, wanting to rest. Because hard work of transformation needs rest. We need nourishment. We need that time inward. And then finally, everyone, just feel the feels. Let them come out right now. And we talked about the self-study ways to do that. As things come up, as you're you're sitting with your tea in your robe in that comfy moment and you feel a feel, just let it come out. And nothing else. That's it. Just experience those feelings rather than pushing them down. There's so much of our conditioning that says, oh, you know, keep it together at all times when in fact... That's not good for us. We know that. So Scorpio season is a great time. It may feel hard. <laughs> but if you need any inspiration or anything, head over to, to Ashley Sondergaard Yoga or Yoga Magic Podcast on Instagram because I've got plenty of tips for you. Um, today, I'm dropping in my newsletter a playlist to just kind of bring up some of those emotions. So if you want that free playlist, make sure you're on the Yoga Magic newsletter that comes out every couple of weeks. Okay, so this episode today is a really, really eye-opening conversation um, with yoga teacher and just change maker, Shayla Ulet Stonechild. And Shayla is doing amazing inspirational work in the areas of bringing indigenous communities more representation in the yoga world. And I loved our conversation today because she was so open and had such beautiful insight into some very tough topics, but she remains really positive about where we're headed in terms of the yoga and the wellness community and bringing more people of color, bringing more indigenous folks within this community and recognizing their gifts. And her work in matriarch movement is doing exactly that. I have to admit, when I have guests talking about things such as representation or decolonization or just the the cultural appropriation that we experience within the yoga community I get really nervous because I I know that I've made those mistakes myself in this episode we talk about cultural appropriation we talk about colonization and we talk about where improvements have been made and where we still have some room to grow. So I'm so, so grateful to have Shayla on this episode. To learn more about Shayla and her amazing work as a catalyst for Indigenous youth and women unlocking their full potential and reclaiming their voices, you can check out her podcast, The Matriarch Movement Podcast, as well as finding Shayla on Instagram, her information is in the show notes. If you are someone who is of the indigenous community and you want to connect with her, she is doing such amazing work bringing the voice, your voice, to to the world. And so I'm so honored to have her on the show today. A huge thank you to our show sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp has been a partner from the beginning over here at Yoga Magic and has helped me personally over the last year. If you would like to learn more about BetterHelp, check out our information in the show notes and your first month is 10% off. And then finally, friends, 
I'm so glad you're here. This community is growing in a huge way and it's because you're sharing these episodes with others. You're writing reviews, um, you're leaving ratings and you're, you're spreading the word. So thank you for doing that. Continue to share these practices, these episodes with people that you think might want to learn something new, want to learn about their own self-care and self-discovery and can continue to expand and grow within this world because um, we all need it right now. That's for sure. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, I'm at ashleysondergaard.yoga and the podcast is at Yoga Magic Podcast. Let's get to our conversation with Shayla Ulette Stonechild. Welcome, Shayla. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to chat. This is going to be great. Yeah, thank you so much. Hi, hi for having me. Can you tell listeners a little about yourself? And I'd love to hear your journey of how you first got into the yoga world. Yeah, so a little bit about myself. Tanse, hello. My name is Shayla Olet Stonechild. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm Nehiao and Metis from Muscopegan First Nations Treaty 4 territory in Saskatchewan. But I was born and raised in Medicine Hat, Alberta. However, I currently live on the unceded Coast Salish territory, the Musqueam, Squamish, and Salish people out of Vancouver. I've been in Vancouver for the past 10 years. I moved here when I was 18 years old um, to go into acting, actually. I went to Vancouver Mm. Academy of Dramatic Arts, and then that's where I found yoga. I found yoga at the age of 19. I was introduced through another Indigenous woman, one of my good friends, Grace Gov. She took me to my first yoga class and there I began the journey of really, um, you know, deep, deep healing on a physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, um, multi-generational level. I fell in love with hot yoga at first and then Mm -hmm. I realized, you know, how profound my experience had been on the mat and I wanted to introduce that to Indigenous youth and to get back to Indigenous communities. And so I took my first training like around the age of I don't know, 23 or so. And I, you know, went in with the intention that it was about the physical practice, just the sauna practice. And as I'm sure all the yoga instructors and yogis out there, you just, your mind is, is blown throughout yoga teacher training. Literally. And so it's like, I took my 200 hours at Vancouver School of Healing Arts And then I realized how much I didn't know. So then I went on to take like another uh, advanced training. I went to Tulum, took a Tantra training. I took like so many trainings within the next like two years after that. And even now to this day, I'm always a student before Mm -hmm. I'm a teacher. I have still so much to learn, but yoga um, really grounds me in the present and allows me to do the work that I do in the world um, through, you know, setting those intentions and having that practice every day. Mm. hot yoga it's I'm like I that's what I found too like specifically Mm. Bikram at the time and I Mm -hmm. was a creative like you I was in um I was music major and I I feel Mm. like there's like a special place for those of us that like do acting and singing and stuff like that in those hot yoga classes because I don't know what it is but I remember feeling like this is my home (laughs) (laughs) right right Uh, and then yeah I don't know what it is and also I don't know yeah and I think in Vancouver too the landscape it's just so rainy and cold and oh yeah and you just want to be like tucked in and I feel like hot yoga provided like a really nourishing feel for your soul too at the same time absolutely yeah yeah that's so funny we have a similar like first experience and you're you're so 
you're so true when you say that you like, the more, you know, about yoga, the less, you know, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. And at one point I was like, I'm never going to be able to teach because I'm kind of like a perfectionist. Yeah. And then I realized like perfectionism is kind of like a colonial concept and construct and you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be perfect at it. So like, why am I holding myself back? And what does perfectionism even mean? Like, I don't know. So then I, I kind of, I let that fall away. And then I let, um, and then I think when I made it less about myself too, like realizing mm-hmm. that this practice is for other people, it's for the community. It's not, it's not just for me and my individual self. It's actually for healing for others, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now when you teach, are you, you're teaching within matriarch movement or do you, do you teach any like in person or anything like that? Yeah, before the pandemic. Um, so my intention was to start treating at teaching at retreats, uh, teaching at yoga festivals. Mm-hmm. And so I actually led a few uh, with Lululemon uh, in Vancouver. And then I was in Winnipeg doing another yoga festival. And so there I had the opportunity to you know, teach yoga on a larger scale to like a big, big group of people. And like, I love music too. That's another component of myself. I I love to create playlists and all that and create a certain vibe. And so, you know, it started happening and I was like, wow, this is like so cool to see it now becoming a reality. And then the pandemic hit. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) damn it. Well, there goes that tree. (laughs) There it goes. Still, (laughs) you like who? I mean, we'll be there on the other side, right? Just waiting for a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so now, like, I was teaching virtually when the first, when the pandemic first started. Um, And then I hit a wall because I feel like at the, I don't know about you, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I felt like a lot of people were looking for, you know, wellness Mm -hmm. practices and tools. And they realized like how they were living before wasn't essential or, you know, it wasn't for their health or their, for their overall well-being, And so I got really burnt out after mm-hmm. like probably a f- like, I don't know, like eight months of teaching virtually. And then I had to eventually take a step back and I had to be like, I can't, I can't show up for this. If my, if my plate is, if my cup is empty, I'm not right. going to be able to like serve my students. And so I had to take a step back and I was teaching in a studio too called Common Ground in Vancouver um last summer and I think it was last summer I took a break from studio teaching and then virtually I've taken a break since um I want to say like March of this year Mm -hmm. somewhere somewhere before the summer so I've been I haven't been teaching as much but I do teach uh virtual workshops and events here and there um and then hopefully soon in Canada there'll be more in-person events happening um, and the matriarch movement is actually going to be um, creating an indigenous wellness series. And so we're just kind of in the production phases of that. So it's like, how can we bring yoga to indigenous communities in person, but also online through the virtual landscape? Oh, can't wait. That's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> super exciting. <laughs> so much opportunity that I think, I mean, truly, if, if, we hadn't been at home all of a sudden forced Mm. to make these creative connections that I don't, I mean, I would never have gotten as disconnected to people like you to, you know, the Mm. podcast in this weird way. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I got a little burnt out on the teaching, but there's Mm -hmm. new opportunities that came out of it. It was, it was, I'm grateful. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, 
I think it goes back to that learning aspect too. Like I'm really looking forward to this winter to like taking probably another training and to like really diving more into my practice so that like come next year, I'm going to feel, I'm going to feel refreshed and ready to go again. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love it. So I'm super curious. I've I have so many questions and I had to to whittle down my questions because I had so many <laughs> that I wanted to explore with you. You're doing such amazing work, you know, educating others about the underrepresented indigenous folks within the world of yoga and wellness. Can you just talk a little about where you first saw or maybe most prominently saw this, this community, again, of yoga wellness, really missing the mark um, and how it led you to matriarch movement, movement today? Yeah, well, I think initially, like, um, I knew what was missing the mark before I even stepped foot in a yoga studio, which mm-hmm. is why I didn't step in a foot into a yoga studio, was because I never thought it was for um, Indigenous people. It was never for people like me. Also, the price tag that it comes with. Uh, is really high in Vancouver going to a yoga class is not affordable it's not within like like I think some studios now are charging like $39 a class and so I was never called to yoga because of you know the lack of um the lack of access really and I also you know have had seen the yoga world online and on social media and I always saw it from you know a state of like white able-bodied privileged women doing headstands are super flexible on the beach and I was like well I'm none of those things so this practice doesn't feel like it's for me and it was through my friend Grace Dove who's another indigenous woman who invited me into the yoga space and so I went and I took my first class and sitting on that mat I felt kind of the same as like sitting in my classroom as a kid of being the only indigenous person Mm -hmm. and just feeling like kind of awkward and not like not like I belong here and I felt like this almost hierarchy was created within even the classroom setting and so being on the mat I had to kind of you know get out of those get out of those obstacles within my within my own mind allow me to show up and not not let those things hold me back from coming into my practice but through so I saw the lack right off the bat (laughs) right off the bat of my introduction to yoga and then when I took the trainings and when I began to take more classes um, I was always the only indigenous person in those rooms or a brown brown person in that room and so when I took the training too I also started to get really curious of how are these trainings um, supporting marginalized communities how are they giving back to you know the lineage from where yoga comes from is there a sliding scale is there sponsorship is there you know uh, by donation classes karma classes you know how can we also give back to the community and to the lineage? And when I experienced my first training, I have to say that I felt almost like the woman was, um, I, what's the word, like one-upping me kind of. Mm-hmm. I would like bring up a ceremony or something that I did or, you know, an Indigenous teaching or worldview or some kind of concept. And then she would be like, well, when I went here and I experienced this, this is what I learned. And I was just like, this is so weird. Like, I shouldn't feel like I'm like, in competition with like the facilitator who's facilitating this training. And so I think this was before um, the Black Lives Matter movement happened. This was before, you know, George Floyd's death. This was before any of the movements started taking place. And then when it did take place, I was like, finally, finally, we're having these conversations 
because this is how I've been feeling for so long and I didn't know how to articulate myself and it shouldn't have to take the death of George Floyd and the death of thousands of indigenous people for us to begin to have these conversations, but it has now. And so, you know, to go back to your question, I always knew that like I saw the lack um, since the beginning of my introduction to yoga was, and I think that goes throughout life too. Um, being an Indigenous person, you always see the lack <laughs> um, within these spaces because you're Indigenous. And a lot of these spaces were not created for us. Mm-hmm. I, so I'm in Minneapolis and that I'm, I'm, I like, it's encouraging to hear you feel that shift, like for you to be pointing out that change that happened after the murder of George Floyd, because here still in the Twin Cities, there's times where I'm like, this is the same old shit. Like, why are Mm -hmm. we still in this? Do you know? And Mm -hmm. when I talk to other people in other parts of the world, obviously, you know, you're not that much farther away from me, but still it's, we're making those little steps forward and yet there's, mm. there's a long way to go. And so I guess I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for your positivity a little in that sense yeah. because it's so hard. Yeah. I th- Well, and I think that's the only thing that really keeps me going. And sometimes um, I'm a visionary too. So I really like to look, I like the idea of like indigenous futurism and imagining ourselves in you know, different realms of time that are not so tied to the suppression and the marginalization Mm. and the violence. And, and I think that having that um, concept gives me the, the tools to survive. I think really, that's like a survival mechanism is, you know, uh, reimagining what has yet to be done, just so that we don't have to constantly exist in harm, you know, Mm -hmm. or constantly feel like we need to just have the right to survive but also realizing that there are so many things that are happening in indigenous communities right now that they don't even have access to their basic human needs and so realizing that yes this George Floyd's death put um, a lot of these conversations on a global scale but they're still ongoing and this work Mm -hmm. is it's every day you know Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes just taking more being gentle as an indigenous person you know too and realizing it's not it's not necessarily our harms to be fixing Mm -hmm. where do you see some progress being made specifically within the yoga and the wellness community um and probably due to your work some of the amazing work Mm. that you're doing yeah I think um it's interesting. I actually had this conversation with um, one of my friends, Jessica, who's also an Indigenous yoga instructor. And I asked her about, you know, we're having now these talks of decolonizing within the wellness industry. But I think, you know, uh, yoga existing within the colonial world is always going to be tied to, you know, certain parts of fragmentation and exploitation and all these things, because that's inherently colonial, and that's inherently tied to like a capitalistic system. And so, can you even decolonize an industry that, um, I, I don't even, it's an industry at the end of the day. And so I think mm-hmm. the progress that I'm seeing right now is usually led by um, Black and Indigenous people of color, and they're reclaiming a lot of their practices and their ceremonies and their tools. And I think the shift that I see is also happening within our communities, taking back our power, and then 
utilizing it and then figuring out new ways that we can exist without the without like the without the colonial system like how can we exist outside of that and I feel like that's true decolonization is like almost creating your own table and so matriarch movement is one pillar but there's also so many other indigenous people that are creating their own movements and their Mm. own own table and I think that's that's what that's where I see the shift happening is like there's a power dynamic shift where we're now taking our power back when before our power was always taken by um you know white people mm-hmm. <laughs> non-indigenous people mm-hmm. and so I think the shift is us taking our power back um and being supported by non-indigenous people and being supported by people that do have access to resources and privilege and funding how can they, how can you utilize your privilege and resources and fund people that have been historically left out and i think that's where um, relationship building happens is you know giving access to that power and that privilege and to um, resources because we have been constantly suppressed throughout the economy too and so there's a lot of power dynamics that are at play too when you think of um, shifts within the wellness world, it directly relates to shifts within our own life too. So I think even also realizing wellness is like a holistic, um, holistic, it's a holistic landscape. You can't just have like your wellness and your personal and your professional. It's all like interconnected Mm. too. Hi friends. I'm such a strong believer that simple self-care practices make us strong, more equipped for challenges in our life. And sometimes self-care means talking to someone with complete and open honesty and that someone might be a licensed professional. So let's talk about one of my favorite sponsors, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is amazing and it helped me so much in the last year through my challenges and struggles. If you'd like to talk with a licensed therapist about your challenges, your goals, or you just need to get you know, something heavy off of your chest, BetterHelp is making it so easy to make that happen. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it is professional counseling done securely online. And perhaps, you know, you don't have access to a counselor where you live or you just don't want to leave your house. (laughs) BetterHelp makes it so easy. And not only that, but it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So once you're matched with a counselor, you get to know them, you get to see if it's a fit. And if it's not, no problem. It's free to change counselors if needed. Because we all know that, you know, it needs to be a fit. If you're going to pour out your heart, you need to, to feel comfortable with that person. Once you have your licensed therapist, you can log into your account anytime and send them a message, set up weekly sessions via video or phone call, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. And remember, you never have to sit in that awkward traditional therapy waiting room. It's such a relief. So BetterHelp really wants you to start living a happier life today. If you're ready to prioritize yourself and your well-being along with the million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional therapist, visit betterhelp.com slash yoga magic to get set up. And for yoga magic listeners, you can get 10% off of your first month. That's better H-E-L-P slash yoga magic. So when you say shifts in our own individual, do you mean that sort of like what we're drawn to individually? And I mean, cause it is so holistic or can you share a little more about what you mean? 
Yeah, I think, um, I think like Western psychology and medicine often when you go to school, you learn like you learn a specific topic or a specific subject and you become a master or an expert over that. And that's just such a colonial way of thinking because that, that thing, that subject, that tool is also connected to a branch of other ones. And so mm. shifting your individualistic perception is realizing that you're a, a holistic person. And so mm. how can you, it's not having that fragmented state of mind. I don't know if that makes sense. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, the shift for me was um, realizing that, yes, I'm talking about wellness, but this also directly relates to my finances. This directly relates to my personal and professional life as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And if we were to... If we were to think like that all the time, just imagine the possibilities, I think, for all of us. Yeah, yeah. And I think shifting from just thinking of ourselves too and coming back to like, because for Indigenous people, we're constantly thinking about our community. We're thinking right. of our nations. We're thinking of one another. I'm always thinking, you know, how is this going to help my, the next seven generations? It's a seven generation prophecy. And I think Western society, we're constantly seeking individual success and our individual self mm -hmm. and attainment and goals and progress. And it's like, well, how can we start to begin to shift that to more of a community-based um, lens too and being in relationship with one another um, mm -hmm. outside of just the individual self? That's yoga, right? It's community. Exactly. It's like and that's nice. so perfect. <laughs> and then that ties back to, to yoga. That's why I love <laughs> yoga too. It's just like indigenous teachings and philosophies and way of life are directly related to yoga philosophy and like there yeah so when when I was in yoga teacher training like I said my mind was constantly being blown <laughs> yeah. uh, because I was like oh my gosh these are so obviously different but very similar at the same time yes oh, really yeah yeah that's yeah. so true well, okay. Question about, so definitely within the wellness space. I mean, and I'm, I'm very guilty of this, of adopting practices because I think they're beautiful and I, and I want to build them into my life or I want to teach them in, in a way that helps others. And yet they're not mine. They're not of mm -hmm. my background or my culture. And, you know, as we learn more about cultural appropriation, what do you mm. suggest for those of us that are wellness professionals or just excited about spiritual practices? What do you suggest that we do in order to avoid that cultural appropriation? Mm. Yeah, I think it's even just getting really um, intentional and reflect on the word um, cultural appropriation and how that feels within your own body and within your own nervous system. Because mm -hmm. I know a lot of um, wellness practitioners and yoga instructors don't even like to talk about cultural appropriation because there's almost a sense of like guilt or like shame that comes oh, along with sure. it. Mm -hmm. And so that prevents like the conversation from even happening. So just like getting curious to like how that feels within your body. And for me, that was one of the reasons why I took so long to teach. And that's why I took so long to share it because I also felt like this isn't from my lineage. Why mm -hmm. did, why do, why does this give me the right to, you know, go out and teach in the world? And so I think honoring, um, honoring, also honoring your own lineage and taking a look within your own family history and realizing how your own bloodline affected the current reality and really working on healing within your own lineage and within your own bloodline. Because 
as indigenous people, we have intergenerational trauma, but, you know, I've always thought, you know, white people, they also have intergenerational trauma. And so how are ways that you can also heal your own bloodline? And so with yoga, for me, it was um, listening to uh, more teachers within the lineage and also just taking a step back and really reflecting on my why and reflecting on um, the histories of both of both of my lineages. And so what happened in India was kind of similar to what happened here in Canada, where both of our practices essentially had our ceremonies got taken away and they went underground. Mm -hmm. And it was because of colonization and it was um, through reclamation that we began to um, put them out into the world. But the difference is, I think with indigenous um, ceremonies and our ways, ways of life, we never gifted it to the collective. We never gifted mm. it to the community. We're never like, here's our practices, our teachings, go out and teach them. We never had that. And so the in yoga, it was gifted. It was gifted to the West to go and for it to be shared. And so I think also knowing there's so many nuances that exist within history. Um, and for me, it, it was um, deep reflection and also just a deep honoring. And I'm constantly asking myself that question every day of like, how can I give back um, to the lineages itself? So creating like a reciprocal relationship. And so I think, you know, that question is um, different for everyone. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's different for depending on where you come from. Um, and it's different where you, however long far you are on your journey. So I think there's a lot of intersections and nuances that exist within this conversation in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for, for answering that. I know that it's, yeah, people have different opinions on what to do. And honestly, when I did my mm. teacher training 10, 11 years ago, I had nobody in that room had any idea what cultural appropriation was. Yeah. And that's shocking to me to think about now that, I mean, I think all teacher trainings are are getting more aware, but holy cow, Mm -hmm. nothing, no discussion of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yeah, I I feel like there's so much work still to be done within the trainings in itself, because then it kind of makes me question like what, what is essentially happening within these trainings if we're not having these conversations? Mm-hmm. then more people are going to go and probably create maybe further harm if we're not talking about this within the training mm-hmm. in itself. Do you speak at teacher trainings to representation or is that something I'm just, I'm like kind of curious if that could be uh, yeah, so no helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually been approached to teach at um, a few trainings. Um, I feel like I'm still a student in a lot of ways, so mm-hmm. I haven't said yes to any. And then that also goes with just, um, yeah, that just goes with even my own lineage. I feel like I, I'm not an elder. I'm not a knowledge keeper. I'm still like in training. And so I, I make sure to, if, if I feel called to, I will speak at certain things um, and I will do consultations with um, a few uh, yoga studios and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do talk about like, yeah, indigenous representation, but also inclusion um, within, within, within the world. Yeah. You mentioned something just a moment ago that I heard you talk about on yoga journals podcast about intergenerational trauma. And it's something that I am just so saddened by. And also like to really, I I want people to understand what it is because I don't like, you can say these words and it's like, okay, but it's, Mm. it's, I mean, it's a, a real 
I don't, insidious is maybe the word, but like very powerful feeling and effect that we can, that you can reverse. And I'm, I just want to, mm. I want to hear it from your perspective. What is it and how, what is the work that you're doing? How is that changing these passed on traumas? Mm. Yeah. I think intergenerational trauma, um, it's like intergenerational trauma can be felt within our bloodline, but it's also within a historical sense, a political sense, uh, within a multi-generational sense. And so what my father went through and what my great, great, great grandmother went through, um, through epigenetics could potentially be passed down onto Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And so just understanding that, um, you know, I think science is now catching up to spirituality and it's like, we're, (laughs) we're feeling everything that our mother is feeling within the womb. Like it's literally being passed down onto us. And so intergenerational trauma, um, through the lens of being native is it's looking at multi-generations and the harm that has been caused by the federal institution, by the Canadian government, uh, by the RCMP, by the Catholic church. Uh, These were all harms done to us and done to our bloodline. And knowing that genocide is just like not a thing of the past, it's ongoing and it's actually still present. Um, And so not only are we looking at the intergenerational trauma, but we're also looking at um, the lack of having our basic human needs met here in Canada. And so I think mm. um, I'm, all, I'm constantly looking at intergenerational trauma through like an indigenous, as an indigenous person. Um, but I know that it, it, it probably differs depending on, again, where you come from. Right. Right. So I don't know if I answered your question. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if my, if I had a real question, I, I, I just, I, the, the moment that I realized that when we as women are carrying a baby in our bodies, that they have their eggs in their body. I mean, we're ultimately carrying our grandchildren. I just, I don't know if I felt wildly emotional about that. And not long after I like learned this concept, I listened to your conversation on yoga journal. And I'm just like, this is, this is <laughs> awful. And also what a gift for, like you said, science to be catching up with the spirituality of it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you see as far as matriarch movement is doing is potentially stopping some of that trauma from being passed on to these future generations? Yeah, I guess, um, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say like stopping, but I would say Mm. like hopefully transmuting and alchemizing Mm. that trauma into new forms. And I feel like Indigenous people, there's because of the Indian Act out here in Canada, um, we are actually put on to reserves. And so we actually didn't even have some Indigenous communities don't even have access to certain resources out here. And so um, the matriarch movement, what I hope to do is to, um, to provide the landscape and the container for indigenous people to transmute and alchemize their pain and their grief. Because when they took away our ceremonies, they were taking away the ways we um, dealt with grief, the way that we mm. healed. They were, when they took away our language, they're stripping us of our worldview. When they took away our ceremonies, they're taking away from our, our um, connection to creator and our connection to source. And so I feel like this has been done throughout history. And so I hope matriarch movement, um, us taking our power back is leading um, our ceremonies and our practices and our teachings the way that we want to and doing it in relation to one another. 
Mm. And that's a lot of, um, that's a part of decolonization too. It's coming back to kinship and coming back to um, relate, relating to one another. And matriarch movement, my goal is to um, provide the landscape for other indigenous instructors to also utilize our gifts and share that with our nations as well. I love the word transmute. It gives me goosebumps when you said that. <laughs> yeah, and this yeah. is going to be airing like right as it turns into Scorpio season. And that's all about transformation oh, yeah. and totally. like, what a perfect way to look at it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot that still needs to be transmuted. <laughs> yeah. Lot, lot, lot. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit more about matriarch movement and, and specifically how people can get in community with you and all of the, the cool things mm. that you're doing and connect with others um, within the indigenous community? Yeah. So uh, for me, I go through like cycles of, um, you know, really exerting um, being in the physical world. And then I go through cycles of incubation and learning and training and so <laughs> yeah. I'm actually headed into like more of a hibernation phase so right now matriarch movement uh, we're currently in the production phases of uh, producing an indigenous wellness series that will take place virtually and hopefully in person um, so I will probably be posting that about in the new year but for the next two months I'm going to be uh, writing and I'm going to be uh, laying down the foundations and so I'll post on my social media um, when there will be uh, virtual wellness sessions in the future with Matriarch Movement. And if I collaborate with any other organizations, but for right now, I'm listening to my soul and I'm taking a little little hiatus <laughs> into the hibernation mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so key, especially as someone who outputs so much. It, you have yeah. to turn inward. Yeah. Totally. But we'll I'll still be doing the podcast. So there's a new podcast out every Monday uh, called Matriarch Mondays. And so there we highlight an Indigenous woman doing uh, new uh, her work in the world. And so you can listen to that on Matriarch Movement. And then also Fridays, I believe we have a blog post out. And so we'll be posting more um, on our online platform. Amazing. When you do go inward, when you do this hibernation sort of incubation period, what's your, what are your like yummy self-care practices? What do you do to take care of yourself? Um, I, I work with plant medicine. So I work with like flower essences. So I'm really looking forward to taking this course um, with one of my friends. Uh, she has, she's also an indigenous woman based in Toronto and she actually has this course about plant medicine. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be taking a course on plant medicine. I'm also going to be remembering to hydrate myself and to come back to my yoga practice. I feel like as I'm sure you probably relate Sometimes when you're so busy, your practice is the first thing to like go to the wayside. And so I'm really looking forward to practicing like hopefully every single day um, come my hibernation period. And also just really grounding myself into connection to source and connection to nature. When you work with flower essences, well, I guess you're, you're just starting out. I've, th- I've only dabbled in them, but I find them to be so interesting because it's, it's energy medicine, right? It's like you have the energy mm-hmm. or the essence of that particular plant into mm-hmm. these, I guess, can you explain it for listeners that people that have no idea what a flower essence is? Yeah. So flower essence, I believe there's like 38 batch flower essences. Um, so each um, flower has a certain vibration and it's related to a certain emotion. And so these flowers mm-hmm. can help you on a subliminal energetic level within a certain period in your life. And so there's flowers that help with anxiety, 
right now I'm working with Larch, which I believe um, helps you make decisions and Mm. it brings forward like your subconscious um, like patterns to, so that you can begin to change them essentially. So large, like helps you move forward. Um, and that's one that I really like. I also like working with Oak, which is really just, um, meant for cleansing your own energy. And so I would get curious about these flower essences, look online. It's so cool to know that the the things that we need for our own emotions also exist within the plants itself. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) This was such a gift, Shayla. Thank you for being on the show and for just for educating us and being here. Can you tell listeners where to find you, where to find all the amazing work that you're doing? Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Hi, hi for having me. Uh, you can follow me at Shayla0H. You can also follow the matriarch.movement. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Sweet. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. Thank you to our guest, Shayla, and to our sponsor, BetterHelp. I appreciate you all listeners so much. Thank you for showing up every week. A couple of ways you can support this show are by leaving a rating and review and checking us out on Instagram at Yoga Magic Podcast. I'll see you next week.